Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? I'm your host, Chase Coleman, and welcome back to the Millennial Way. It is another lovely quarantined winning Wednesday. Oh, how lovely it is not. I'm totally joking. This quarantine stuff sucks, man. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I have been doing so much to continue to keep myself sane. And I would recommend that everybody else do the same to stay sane. You know, I, I know we're living in a world of like a lesser of two evils is what I like to call it. Whether you're working and you still have your job and you're working your ass off and you're probably working like 80 to 90 hours a week because, well, shit, work is just crazy right now. Or you're on the opposite opposite side of the spectrum and you don't have a job and you're not necessarily working and you have things and you're just kind of like in a waiting period at the moment. And I really just see that this time period right now, I mean, there's going to be history books written on this time period. I mean, just think about like from 2000 to 2020, it's absolutely nuts of two decades, but it's just a crazy time y'all. And, and, I, and I say all this because what I want us to take seriously is ourselves and what's important to you. A lot of the things that I've been doing right now is looking internally and saying, what's important for Chase? What does Chase care about? And as an extrovert, the one thing that I truly care about is connecting with people. I absolutely love having conversations with people, whether you're a new person that I've never talked to before, or whether you're an old friend, somebody I just haven't caught up with in a long time, whatever it may be. But the thing that's been keeping me going during this time, besides exercise and actually getting outside and going for a walk every day with my buddy Chris or my roommate Thomas, has been having these FaceTimes with my buddies. I mean, shoot, last night I was going back and forth with two different groups. My best friends from college, um, the crew, we had a great FaceTime conversation last night. You know, I say great. We were just laughing and doing all the things that we would have done if we were in the same room. And then on the other hand, I also talked to some of my buddies who I haven't seen in shit years. I mean, my high school basketball team was, I mean, we were amazing. And I told them last night, you know, I had one of the best seats ever to watch some highly touted high school prospects who ended up turning into NBA superstars. But shoot, like we traveled so much and we just went through so much together. And then once we all graduated high school, we all went our separate ways, right? Like we had some people go to Ohio State or we had Shannon go to Ohio State. Evan went to Virginia. My buddy Jordan went to Furman. Dejan went to Vanderbilt, everyone went everywhere, point being. And now we got guys who are living overseas, back in Atlanta, you know, everywhere around the country. And to get everybody on a FaceTime to just connect and talk and have spend those same stories that we all remembered and just laugh about that shit, that had me going. And I'm telling you guys, I found a new energy today when I woke up just because I felt so refreshed talking to them. So if there's one thing that you could do during quarantine, I would say just reconnect with people that you haven't talked to in a long time. And also give your mom a call, see how she's doing, see how, how things are going in her world. I mean, if you're not seeing her all too often, if you live 3,500 miles away from her, like, like I do, give her a call because your family wants to hear from you. And I can guarantee that they'll be super happy And the newfound energy that I'm feeling today. They will feel the same way and you will feel the same way by giving them that call. And now let's talk about our awesome, awesome guest for today. Guys, I'm so pumped about Joe Thornton, Joe Thornton is the freaking man. So I met Joe when I was actually shadowing my uncle back at Starbucks. This was back in about 2010, 2011. 
I was sitting in a senior leadership meeting, just sitting there, literally being a fly on the wall. And Joe came up to me after the meeting and was like, we need to have a conversation. I looked at him. I didn't know what the hell that meant. I was like, yeah, no, no, no. Let's absolutely, absolutely have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then I sat down and little did I know at that moment in time that I would have a mentor for not the next year, not the next four years, not the next five years, but we're ongoing for six, seven years now uh, as a relationship. I mean, I call him my mentor. Joe is one of my good friends. I call him for anything. And I mean it legitimately anything. Joe is Joe's awesome. And he has such a great perspective on just life and career and how life and career actually mix together. And that's the one thing that I love about Joe. I'm going to read you guys a quick quote from his book, my favorite chapter so far. And Joe would probably have guessed this, but it's chapter five and it's saying no. Now, the one thing that I've always struggled with, and this isn't the quote, this is just me personally, is that I say yes to things without even thinking them through. And I'm sure a lot of us think that way, right? Like, oh yeah, I have time to do that. Oh yeah, I could do that. Oh no, I can take that on. No problem. Just give it to me and I'll, I'll figure it out. But the one thing that I've realized is that it's actually gotten me into a lot more binds, right? I've ended up having to flake on people more often than not. I've ended up having to cancel plans. I've ended up having to make tougher decisions on a Friday night than I thought I'd ever had to make. But Joe puts it into a really good uh, perspective right here. It's on page 59 for when you guys order this book because it's, it's amazing. And he says, I think about the word no in this way. No is the enemy of and. We can spend all day talking about the excuses and reasons why we say yes when we should say no. Rather than focus on the emotional or relational reasons for, why, for saying yes, it is time to think about the practical side of it. There are times when you cannot afford to say yes. And to be clear, a delayed yes or a maybe is not the same as no. And with that being said, let's get into this. Let's get Joe in here. And y'all, as I mentioned, I have my man, my mentor, somebody who I look up to and admire all the time, Joe Thornton, joining the podcast today. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Chase. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to have you here. I know we've we've had conversations, shoot, I guess I've known you now for the last five or six years. And every single time, I feel like I just gained so much more knowledge from you. And you've had an interesting background in your career. And being a former COO at Jamba Juice and an executive at Starbucks, I would love to hear from you just a, a cliff note version of your career with maybe a couple highlights uh, that you've had throughout your time. Uh, yeah, definitely, Chase. You know, I've uh, been in retail for 35 years. I was fortunate to spend 25 of those years with two great American brands, 14 years at Blockbuster and then 11 years at Starbucks. Ooh, Blockbuster. Uh, and then, of course, most recently, the COO at Jamba Juice. Uh, and then the last year or so, I actually uh, started up my own business called Visionary Brands, uh, focused on coaching, consulting, public speaking, and publishing. So it's been a, it's been a great career for me. And I'll, I'll touch on a couple of things. One is just about lessons learned. I think when you leave an organization and look back, you know, you always look for what did you take away from that? And these are things that don't show up on the resume. So I'll tell you quickly the one thing I took from Blockbuster. Uh, the lesson was about self-inflicted wounds. And so Blockbuster at its height was everywhere. You know, it was in movies. It was everybody's neighborhood place to go, even before Starbucks. 
And most people in reflection think it was Netflix and Redbox that did away with Blockbuster. But I can tell you being on the inside, it was all self-inflicted wounds. So I took that lesson with me and showed up at Starbucks and everything was great at Starbucks when I got there. You know, people were happy. Stock was good. Business was great. And here I was coming from this brand that was sinking. So I had a different urgency going to Starbucks, but I'll tell you what I learned about those 11 years at Starbucks was the power of a brand, the connections, the the stories that happen inside of a, a Starbucks location. And two things I quickly tell you, one is the number of people that got married inside of a Starbucks. That was crazy. <laughs> the people want to get married in a Starbucks, but we got a lot of requests for that. Um, the complete opposite side is when tragedies hit. You know, if there was a hurricane or some other natural disaster in a community, people gathered at Starbucks. You know, they didn't gather at other businesses in their community like they did there. So that was really interesting. And then lastly, at Jamba Juice, taking on the COO role, it was really the lesson was learned about a turnaround business. How do you take a business that's been on the decline for years and and move that to a positive. So I've had some great experiences uh, all along the way. That's awesome. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that with us, Joe. I find Blockbuster very interesting. We've had a couple of conversations around this, just in the fact that, like you said, it was self-inflicted wounds, right? And we don't need to dive too deep into it, but reading through kind of what what we've talked about in the past is just the fact that Blockbuster was, like you said, a place, a destination that everybody went to. It was in movies. Shoot, I remember when my parents would bring me to Blockbuster right around the around the corner from my place and allowing me to pick out one video game just to rent for the week. And I would be on cloud. It was like the best thing that happened to me all week. And the one thing that I think about all the time when thinking about different businesses and how they can innovate is how you need to continue to stay ahead of the trends and continue to innovate and think about what's happening next. And I think that just in my personal opinion, that's kind of what brought Blockbuster down. But being from the inside, you know a little bit better than I do. So anyways, with that being said, I do want to switch gears just a little bit because you've led some very amazing American brands, as you said, being at Jamba Juice, being at Starbucks, being at Blockbuster in the heyday. And I would love to learn a little bit more from you especially being at a leadership level, when you have new hires, particularly millennials coming in, what is one thing or a couple things that kind of concern you about the new hires? And what's also a couple of things that maybe excites you about these new hires? Yeah, Chase, a couple of things. You know, I think from the perspective of a millennial coming into the workplace, I think it's all about them acclimating. And what I'm sensitive to is that, you know, they're not the oldest cohort coming into work. You know, there's Gen X and baby boomers ahead of them, but they're not the youngest either because they've got Gen Z behind them now. And, you know, how do you fit in? You know, how do you make your mark in that environment is what I'm always sensitive to. And I remember having a conversation with the president I worked for years ago when we were talking about promoting and developing people internally. And we, I loved his view because it was, it was almost like as leaders are developing new leaders, we typically look to the people right behind us. And he had this philosophy of you almost want to skip a generation and go a little deeper. And what he was really getting to are millennials. You know, instead of developing that person that's maybe mid to late 30s, that's the logical thing to do. Take that person at the time who was, uh, you know, early to mid 20s and how do you accelerate their development? So 
I think that's something for millennials to think about as they go into work at organizations. Uh, but the last thing I tell you is that, you know, I also realized that this group millennials were kind of caught up in, you know, the, the cost of college and all the things that their parents went through. They witnessed something that really no other generation can speak to at an age where it probably mattered the most. You know, being 15, 16, 17, you're in high school and you're seeing your parents go through all of these things. So I do think that millennials want a different kind of stability than what we would have normally expected at that group at that age. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I think the fact that, you know, the president that you were speaking with and talking about skipping a generation, I'll tell you this, I'll be the first person to tell you when I was coming in to work at Starbucks, I was not only expecting to work with some of the smartest and brightest people that I'd ever met in my life, but also to get the training that was going to allow me to grow on a very accelerated path within my career. And I would say that was one thing that I was looking for when coming into any corporation was just to help have that help and guidance and finding mentors like you, like Bernard, like my uncle Chris, to really help guide me through that, the tough situations and also be open enough to me to allow me to express how I'm feeling, expressing how I'm thinking, knowing that it's not particularly the, the status quo way of thinking. And I always thought that I was at relatively a disadvantage because I was, I was a millennial. I had access to the internet and knew how to use the internet to, to my advantage, I would say. And I think the one thing that you mentioned about fitting in and acclimating is the most important piece because it has to be a two-way streak, right? And I say that because not only do corporations and businesses need to change to help other millennials acclimate, but millennials also have to be willing to acclimate into corporations and the way of working at, within that environment. When I was coming into Starbucks, the one thing I realized was that people loved PowerPoint and people loved using their actual notebooks rather than using like a Microsoft OneNote. And I ended up taking on the, the way of my manager and just using post-it notes for everything. And it ended up being the best thing for me. But if I was so, you know, naive, or I wouldn't say naive, but so ignorant to the fact that I was like, I need to just use my computer. I don't want to waste paper. I don't want to write down on a notebook. It's not, it wasn't going to work out for me and I was never going to be as organized as I am today. So I say that because it's like, it has to be that two-way streak. And the last point I have on this is the fact that I was talking with a buddy just the other day about wearing Apple watches because as millennials, Gen Z, we feel so connected to our phones and the internet. And it's almost like if I'm, if I leave my phone across the room, I feel like a piece of me is missing. And that's because I had my first cell phone in fifth grade. My younger brother had his first cell phone in elementary school. Like we, we both grew up with access to the internet and to my detriment, I got an Apple watch coming out of graduation and I wore it when I first got to Starbucks. And the one thing that I realized was people always ask me, do you have somewhere to go? Like, why do you keep checking your watch? Is Do you have, do you have to be somewhere at a certain time? Like what's going on, Chase? And the truth of the matter was just that I was so connected to my phone and not willing to acclimate to, you know, working in a business from nine to five that it was actually at my detriment. So I had, to add, I had to acclimate and also fit in with the rest of the people at Starbucks, knowing that my Apple Watch was not helping me in any way, shape, or form, but I could use my cell phone and my computer to my advantage. So I, I love that you said the, the fitting in aspect of it because us as millennials, we need to be able to adapt to our environments. And I mean, we've been doing that in our entire lives, but we just need to be able to take it from a technology standpoint and then also take it across our entire lives that um, 
especially in the business world, to be able to truly be the business people that we that we want to be. And that kind of leads me into my next question for you, Joe, is when it comes to like mistakes that millennials make, I made a lot of mistakes when I first came into working in corporate America, whether it was sharing my goals with people that maybe necessarily didn't need to hear my goals or not being as strategic about my career as possible or whatever it may be. What would you say is like one of the biggest mistakes that you see young people making when they're coming into work for a large corporation? Yeah, great question, Chase. You know, I would start by saying this, though. The good news is that every generation's made a ton of mistakes. So, you know, I don't want anyone who's a millennial to feel like, you know, you have to be extra careful. I I think you want to still show up and be you and be your authentic, genuine self in the workplace. A couple things, though, I think because you're coming into a workplace where there's still a couple of generations that are active uh, ahead of you. And so when you start looking at the 50 something population, the baby boomers who largely are senior management in many of the companies, you still have that kind of cohort to interact with and figuring out the best way to do it. So there's really two things I would say. Uh, This might sound a bit surprising, but one is is don't be too casual in dress. And in your approach, you know, we've uh, adapted and evolved as a U.S. business the last 20 years, you know, from business professional to business casual, almost to a detriment. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's become incredibly casual. And yet there's still segments of the organizations out there, particularly the corporate side um, that still hold on to a little bit more of the formality. So. I would err on the side of just, again, being a little bit more professional, and then you can work your your way back as the environment dictates. But I think broader than that, though, is just showing desire and showing hunger uh, for the jobs that you go to, to work for. And I say that because, I mean, listen, no one that's a millennial today has the same mindset in general of 30 or 40 years ago with previous generations where we said, you know, we're going to find an organization to go work for we're going to work for it for 30 or 40 years and we retire. Like that's, that's clearly changed. But even if your go-in approaches, you know, it might spend three to five years here. That doesn't mean you approach it any different. You go in there and you leave everything on the table. You work hard you be curious about, you know, the things that are around you and really drive your personal development. That's one of the discussions you and I had years ago. And I could see the high desire that you had going into the organization and sometimes you're surrounded by people that don't have the same ambition, uh, but don't let that slow you down because whatever you, even if you decide over the next 30 years, I'm going to work at six locations or six organizations for five years apiece, there's still lessons that you can pull forward from one organization to the other. Um, the other thing I would share though, Chase, and I think this is probably my biggest lesson learned early in my career and I've been determined to pass along to others, which is don't skip out on building relationships. And again, no matter how long you're going to be in that organization, relationships, if they're genuine and authentic, they'll transcend the job, even if you move somewhere else. But what's most important about that experience is that I can remember someone asking me early in my career, uh, a senior executive, uh, if I wanted to go play golf. And my response was, I don't play golf. And so that was kind of the end of that. And I remember this was an organization that had a very difficult time breaking through to get to a director level and then to get to a VP level. 
And I remember years later, you know, having an experience where someone asked me to go play golf again. And I said, yes. And I didn't know how to play golf still. <laughs> you know, it was seven weeks out. So I went and took a couple lessons just so I wouldn't embarrass myself. But what I took from the experience, we went off site for a couple of days, is that's really not about the golf. It's that people want to spend time with you and get to know you. And so there's going to be those experiences kind of outside the normal window of work time uh, that you want to cherish because it's really a signal that people are giving you that they want to invest in you and invest in your development, but they want to get to know you. And so always be open to those things. I love that. I love that. And touching on just a couple of things that you said was one, being able to dress professionally and also be able to be able to show up and show your authentic true self. Right. And I think one thing that I've been told multiple times over my, you know, just in my life in general is that dress for the role that you want, not necessarily the role that you have. And I think that still holds true to this day. I mean, I work in fashion today and some people that show up to work are the most fashionable people, fashionable people I've ever seen in my life. They could be on New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, all that stuff like that. But when I look up to the higher levels, it's back to more professional and more business casual when I'm thinking about maybe five, 10 years ago. And I continue to show up every single day in a relax. I would say my dress is a little bit more relaxed, but I'm also very professional in the fact that I don't want to be in my position every day. And I think to your point, we need to be able to instill that professionality within other people still because it is important. And I'm not going to show up to Nordstrom wearing joggers and you know a sweatshirt and some tennis shoes. Some people might feel comfortable for that. But for me, it's not only looking at the present day, but also looking at the future forward and saying, man, I really do want to get promoted and I want people to take me seriously. And not only are they going to take me seriously through you know the work that I'm doing in my presentation style, but they're also going to see me every day and know that I take my work seriously by the way that I dress and by the way that I show up every day and by being consistent. So I think that's that's a great point. And then another thing that I also love about that is just being comfortable getting out of your comfort zone to network. Joe, I, I remember in one of our first conversations when I finally got my job at Starbucks, you mentioned, take 30 minutes out of every week to meet somebody new. I don't care if you meet them on LinkedIn. I don't care if you meet them, you know, by just shooting them an email or through somebody else at Starbucks. Like you need to be networking around this building because one, it'll help you, you know, get your work done and also know who to go for when you need good work to be done. But secondarily, it'll help you move throughout this company because you want to have a career here and you want to grow. And, you know, quite frankly, I haven't had interviews for any of my past roles coming besides, you know, my first job at Starbucks because of the networking that I was able to do there. And it's so enlightening when you realize that not only are you building good friendships and relationships with people, but you're able to learn more about them and they learn more about you. And then next thing you know, they find an open role that they believe that you would be perfect for. They're going to give it to you essentially. And, and obviously they're going to make sure you're interested and they're going to interview you for it. But the interview process is a lot less rigorous when you're able to get out there and go networking and also build those relationships to essentially build trust between people. And I would say that that's the one thing that is super important when it comes to just working in general is that, you know what, I may not like you, but I trust you and I respect you because you do good work. And we may not have to have that relationship outside of work every single day, but I know who you are and I know that you're going to get the work done. And when I need that work to get done, say I'm at a different organization and I have an opening open position come open that I know that you'd be great for and I know that you'd rock, I'm going to call that person 
and I'm going to make sure that they get that job because at the end of the day, like we need to all do good work and knowing and trusting and respecting those people and those people who they do work with or who you do work with is only going to behoove you moving forward. And I loved your example about golf, Joe, because there's been plenty of times where I've gotten out of my comfort zone where people are like, Hey, let's go, you know, whiskey tasting. And in my head, I'm like, man, I really hate whiskey, but you know what? I'm going to go whiskey tasting because it's an added hour, two hours. We're outside of the office. And now I get to know you on a personal level. Not only do I get to know you as, you know, the worker style, but I also get to know you as, you know, Joe, the person and what is, what makes Joe tick? And my question for you coming out of this, Joe, is when speaking about ambitions and career goals, and then also kind of showing up as your authentic, genuine self, or more, more speaking about showing up as your authentic, genuine self, what advice would you have for people who are just kind of new to the workforce on being themselves? Because one thing that I would say I try to do when coming into corporate America was I try to act like I was more professional or more buttoned up than I would say I actually am. And I had a little bit of imposter syndrome for the first, like call it six to nine months of just trying to figure out who I am, what's my working style, how do I work? But what would you say, you know, has been the best thing for you just in terms of showing up and being your authentic self within the workforce? Yeah, you know, it's a tough one, Chase, uh, particularly as you're moving up in organizations and one when you're a leader of people uh, and certainly when you're a leader of leaders, uh, because people are always looking to you and they're watching everything you say and everything you do. And again, to my point earlier about generations, but you've also got this cohort ahead of you, you know, who is still by and large a bit more conservative, conservative in all sorts of ways, whether it's dress or whether they, the way they think about certain worldly issues and how do you integrate who you are and not frankly be offensive, right? In, in the work environment. And so it's quite um, a narrow, narrow uh, line to walk. And so I think a lot of it is just observation and it's really listening for those cues inside of an organization. You know, recently as part of a, uh, a new book that I'm writing, there's a piece where uh, I talk about visible tattoos in the workplace, right? And that's, uh, there's stats today that say 73% of the U.S. population have at least one tattoo, but you also have in polling, uh, at least half the population is not accepting of that in the workplace. And so there, there is a bit of a, uh, an issue here with how do, you, how do you be yourself and be within guidelines of an organization, but also organizations are changing, as, which I think is great and being more uh, open-minded than ever before. But my point of sharing that example is it hasn't happened overnight. I mean, this has been a slow movement over the last 20 years. And so uh, I think it really is almost organizational specific about where they stand. You know, I can remember many, many years ago, Best Buy, when you look at large uh, retailers, is one of the first to just be open about employees having visible tattoos. And what they learned at the end of the day is, you know what, people didn't stop shopping there. You know, it, it had it had very little impact on the consumer experience. What I found in some of my own interviews with executives, by the way, not to digress too far, is that it was their own views that were holding up the organization. It wasn't what the customers were saying. And, you know, other organizations have had to find their way. So part of it uh, goes back to the research you do on the organization that you want to go work for and the things that you can find out before you go into the environment. But in the end, I think to your point about the, the imposter syndrome is that, 
I mean, listen, if you get in there three months, six months, nine months, and you still don't feel like you can be your authentic self, it may truly not be the place for you. Um, so I think yeah, that's, yeah. that's something you really have to think about on your journey. That's that's a really good point. And and doing research on organizations is something I've told you know multiple people to continue to do because that's the one, I would say, one thing that I spend the most time doing before I even join an organization. And whether it's looking up you know their career page, their company about us site, or even going on LinkedIn to just see what people shoot look like and what they kind of stand for on their public profiles gives you a good read into what the organization stands for. And I would say the f- number one shocking thing for me when joining Starbucks was learning about how open it was, you know, coming from the South where it is um, generally more conservative and people do definitely dress a lot more business professional slacks, button down t-shirts or button down shirts and shirts tucked in. Um, I saw a lot of tattoos. I saw a lot of people with blue, purple, pink hair. And I was like, wow, I get to actually kind of be a little bit more open here in the way that I dress than I normally am. But I treaded lightly when I first got there because I just wasn't sure if that was how everybody showed up or if that was just a certain department or what it may be. And I remember my manager coming up to me one day and she was like, Chase, you dress so business casual every day. We're going to call you Bcash. And that became my nickname for a little while. But I was proud of it. I was like, you know what? This is me. This is how I dress. This is how I want to show up at work. And then as time went on, I got more and more comfortable wearing a t-shirt to work or wearing or untucking my shirt. But once I transitioned out of Starbucks and went to Nestle for that year, I realized that the environment that I was in was completely different than Starbucks. Everyone had a button, a button down uh, collared shirt. It was always tucked in, always wore slacks or maybe jeans. And it was a little bit more relaxed, but it was probably a little bit more relaxed compared to the finance industry than maybe a place like Starbucks. And, you know, thinking about Nordstrom and fashion, I think everybody would, would probably agree that we all dress relatively, you know, lax, I would say relaxed in terms of how a, a business professionality, but it's like you said, it's like feeling out the environment. And I would, I would recommend anybody go in, be as professional as you can from the upfront. My first day at Nordstrom, I wore a suit. I was like, forget it. I don't know how these people dress. So I'm just going to wear a suit. I'm going to be me. And then I realized quickly, like I could wear jeans. I could wear you know, a t-shirt if I wanted, I could wear a button down shirt. I could pretty much dress the way that I want. But to my point earlier, my own philosophy is just to dress for the role that I want, not necessarily the, the role that I have. But again, like to your point, it's really about feeling out the environment and understanding how others are acting within that environment, because then it gives you a good read as to how you could dress, how you can act. You know, some people feel very comfortable cussing in their work environment. Some people don't. And again, like, I think that all kind of comes with, with the company culture and Switching gears, Joe, let's talk a little bit about about you because you have a lot of fun stuff coming up with Visionary Brands. Can you share with us, a, I mean, you, you have a book coming out, which I'm like super pumped to, to be able to get my hands on. Can you share with us a little bit about that book? What's it about? What was your goal coming into this? All the fun stuff behind that. Uh, yeah, thanks, Chase. Well, let me start with this. I mean, couldn't be better timing. I'm literally holding in my hand right now the first copy of the book. Uh, it actually just went live for sale today. So uh, uh, the, the book is The Power of Or, Choosing and Doing What Matters Most. Uh, and it is available in five formats right now. Hardback, paperback, Kindle, Nook, and PDF. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Visionary.com. 
uh, or JoeRobertThornton.com. So I'm excited to have the book out. And I'll tell you a little bit about the journey. I've been thinking about this book for years, but I'll tell you as an executive at Starbucks and as an executive at uh, at Jamba Juice as a COO, I was always traveling. You know, there was never any downtime to really write. And so I was attempting to write this book while on a plane, you know, and, and two hours at a time, you can't really get into a groove in writing a book. And so I had all of these kind of excerpts and these pieces that I'd been carrying around for years. And so when I left Jamba Juice, uh, when we sold the company and said, I'm going to take a year off, and I'm going to write this book. I'm going to get after it. So I started by building uh, visionary brands, uh, developing the publishing uh, label part of it. So I spent a few months doing that. And then I pulled all these notes together and I started writing. And uh, interesting thing, I was sitting in my home office, you know, all the family was off doing all their own thing. And, I, and it's like it was quiet, like a perfect environment to write. And I had writer's block. I couldn't do it. So I would pack up everything and go sit in the middle of a noisy, crowded Starbucks with my headphones on. And then the creative juices were flowing from there. And so I wrote this book mostly because of an experience that I had many years ago working with consultants. I was in charge of a store reengineering project for an organization. We brought in one of the big three consulting firms and their principal, as they were presenting back to our executive team, always talked about the power of and, you know, this way to just kind of do this and do that. And in your strategic plan, you get all this stuff done. And I remember walking away from it annoyed, but I didn't know why. And it took me years to kind of bring together the philosophy of that's not how people live generally. People are much more practical in their personal life, number one. So if you've got two children that have a recital and a game at the same time, you got to choose one. You can't go to both. <laughs> if you've got you know, enough money to pay two bills, but you have three bills that are due, you must make a choice. right? And that's more like how people live their lives. And yet we show up in this work environment and we try to do something different. And it usually doesn't work out. We build these strategic plans the size of war and peace. And we don't get them accomplished. And what do we do? We roll it into the next year. And what's waiting there? Stuff that we've already rolled into the next year. <laughs> and it's this frenetics, you know, uh, process that we go through. And someone has to call that out, right? And, and it won't be the CEO because they're trying to appease a board or a PE or a VC or whoever they're working with. And there have to be leaders that say, you know what, this isn't the way to get things done. We're driving our people crazy. And what I'm excited about, and I, I referenced millennials a couple times in the book, because I believe this generation has a great voice. They have a great mindset. They have access to information. They have all of these elements. And now all they have to do is say it. You know, the last piece is just, you know what, let me raise my hand and say, you know, we got to stop this madness. How you do it, of course, is the fine balance that you walk inside of an organization. So in The Power of Or, I explore a lot of different things. And just from a headline perspective, you know, I talk about choices and decision making. I talk about discipline and self-discipline. I talk about the benefits of saying no. I talk about the case for eliminating multitasking, which I think people will find interesting. And I've said if there's just one thing you take away from this book is stop multitasking. And I, I approach it 
both pragmatically and scientifically. And, you know, listen, in the end, people may still not, but I, I believe it's an important perspective to share. I talk about decision fatigue. You know, no matter who we are, the decisions you make in the morning, uh, beginning of your day are just better than the ones you make at the end of the day. And decision fatigue, I, I go deeper to talk about, we understand physical fatigue. You know, if you go out chasing, you run a 26-mile marathon, it's generally accepted unless you're a robot, you're going to be more tired at the end of the race than the beginning. And that's the same with mental fatigue. You know, don't leave those important big decisions for the end of the day because you've expended energy. And especially in our day today where we're scrolling and clicking and liking on top of our work all day long, hundreds, thousands of decisions, they seem innocent, but there's so many of them that by the end of the day, you're worn out. And then lastly, I talk about the real big piece on the business side, simplification and prioritization. And the best in class companies have figured that out. And I always use one example. If you just look at the fast food, small box restaurant space, uh, the company that has really been winning the last six or seven years relative to others in their space is Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A, if you have them in your part of the country, what they've done very simply is said, we're going to put a stake in the ground. We're going to be fast. Whether you go to the drive through or come inside, we're going to be friendly. And we're going to say my pleasure every single time, <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not. And they actually make it sound genuine. But they said, we're not going to try to be everything to everybody. This is what we're going to do. And this is different than when people say, stay in your lane. What I say about Chick-fil-A is they created their lane. And I think that's what you want best-in-class companies to do. So the power of Aura is this journey through all those things I mentioned. There's a little bit of personal storytelling as well about my life and how I got here to write this book. But what I want people to take away is that um, – you don't have to try to live your life one way personally and then kind of be forced into this way of almost unrealistic way of living in an, in an organization. And I like to be really real with people, particularly understanding I'm in a senior role where I can make those differences. I want to make it easier for the people that work around me. And I hope that there's executives that look at this and say, you know what, that's me. I'm doing this and I need to stop. So those are some of the headlines. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm actually, I, I just looked it up on Amazon right now. I'm about to order it right now. Um, I'm excited for this book. I think that's awesome. And like, I'm going to post everything on the book as well as your website in the show notes. So everybody has access to it on joerobertthornton.com so they can go buy the power of, or I'm Joe, I'm, I'm pumped to get, I mean, we've talked about this for months. I know that you've gone through many different iterations and I'm excited to finally get a copy in my hand. So man, that's going to be <laughs> congratulations on getting it done first off. Um, and last, last question I have for you is I, I got to ask everybody this because I think it's important. If you had one to two top tips on just life advice in general, say you were talking to your son or you just, you know, anybody when it talks, when it came up to you and was like, Hey Joe, I just need, need a little bit of help. What would be your kind of top one to two tips that you would give anybody that might be struggling in life or just looking to continue to grow and, and, and be successful in their life? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things we all struggle with is when we go through any adversity, it feels like we're the only ones going through it. And yet at any given moment, 
there's 300, 700 people that are experiencing exactly what we're experiencing, not to mention the thousands and hundreds of thousands that have experienced it before. And so I think finding a way uh, to compartmentalize the, the challenges, the difficult days, the difficult situations, and find that outreach. You know, uh, yeah, I grew up in a generation where people always talked about blood is thicker than water and you kind of stick with family. And family is important, but I've also talked about this in regards to relationships. I mean, you could have a wonderful relationship with your significant other, but that one person can't be everything to you. They can't give you every need spiritually, emotionally, physically, et cetera. And even your family is as extended as they are. So then you start to say, um, you know, you may have a work family and you have a personal family. You have all these other outlets. And one thing we used to talk about in Starbucks, it struck me. We did research years ago and we came up with this term. when We were watching people in the cafe and it said people like to be together alone. Right. They can sit in the middle of a crowded Starbucks, but you've got your earbuds and your headphones on. You're doing your work. And there's something about the comfort of being around people, but you don't necessarily want to interact with them. And I think we're always kind of struggling with that. When do we want time for ourselves to be with ourselves and when do we need to be with other people? But I would say, you know, err on the side of doing that outreach and, and having those conversations with people, even if it's a stranger. Because you never, ever know what, what peace you're going to get that's, that you didn't know that you needed, that's going to be added to your life. And the times to do that is when things are not going well. You know, adversity, and adversity is such a broad uh, definition. I mean, your adversity can be that your car broke down. And for some people, that's more meaningful than others in terms of the impact on your life, or it could be obviously as big as, you know, you had someone pass away in your life, but, you know, don't miss those opportunities uh, to reach out to other people, because I guarantee that someone else possibly in your circle is going through the exact same thing. Um, I think as it relates to the work environment is there's so many changing things. And, you know, one of the things in the book I'm writing now, I talk about change management. And one of the points I bring up is that the moment that a moment has passed, change has occurred. Like that's how often change is occurring. Like you just, just, you're in your car and you drove by a building and you looked at it and you look back and it's gone. And that's, that's what our lives are. So one of the things I would say, particularly with so many millennials having these amazing opportunities and journeys that you're going on professionally and roles that you're taking that allow you to travel and experience different uh, things, really take those moments in. And I'll share a quick example. I flew into uh, New York City uh, four years ago to give a presentation. Uh, it's just quick in and out. I flew in the night before. I was going to present the next morning and then leave out. And I'd been so busy and so consumed. I hadn't even looked at my itinerary. I get on the plane. I'm working on the plane. Didn't know what hotel I was staying at. I jumped in Uber. They took me over to the Marriott Marquis on 44th Street. And so I check in. It's already dark. I walk down uh, or go down the elevator. I walk out of the hotel and I turn the corner and it's Times Square. All lit up. And it's like, you know what? Like, it just changed my mood. Like, this never gets old. I mean, for those that don't get the advantage and the opportunity to go to Times Square at night and see it all lit up. So 
learning to kind of appreciate that journey as well. You're going to work hard. You're going to be heads down. But, man, take those moments to just come up for air and enjoy the, the journey that you're on, too. No, I love that. I love that. And Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. This is this is going to be one hell of a podcast. I mean, seriously, we have some great nuggets in here. As I mentioned, I'm going to be putting all of your stuff in the show notes. So that way people have an avenue to go find The Power of Ore, as well as your other books that you have coming up in the, the next couple of years. And as well as that, so people could check out your website at joerobertthornton.com. I am, I'm super excited to get this out. And full honesty, we will be getting this out in about three weeks. Um, you're going to be one of the first episodes for this new, what we're calling a relaunch. And seriously, like I'm, I'm pumped. I can't thank you enough for, for doing this for me. This is, this was awesome. No, thank you, Chase. We've been on this great journey together, as you said, the last five or six years, and we have some amazing conversations and I, I look forward to continuing to do that. You and me both, you and me both. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review. Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Millennial Way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is The Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.